Good morning. Would you guys please take a seat? My name is Gabe, and I'll be doing the reading today. Mosaic friends and family, we're all going to read from the scripture about Jesus, our King. All this worship is meant to honor Him, and we are going to read from the Bible to give Him even more attention than we have so far. Once I'm read, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond together. Thanks be to God. Please stand in honor of God's word as I begin to read. <laughs> that was not meant to be like that. Okay. <laughs> this is practice very little, but we're going to roll with it. Luke 10, 38, 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister had left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and will not, and it, it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I am really happy to see you today. I'm really happy to see anyone. <laughs> I have been homesick in bed. I'm not contagious. I did not have COVID. I'm telling you this because I might cough because I'm recovering from bronchitis. And if I cough, I am not contagious and I did not have COVID. We're good? Okay. That said, I have been homesick in bed for three weeks. And when I haven't talked to people, I seem to store up words. <laughs> so I'm going to try to use those wisely this morning. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> while we were singing, I feel like I saw the title for my sermon, which is a bit late, but I don't usually even worry about titles, so it didn't change anything. Um, but we sang a song, and now, this is why you don't ad-lib, what was the song, Maya, better than this? There's nothing better than him. You. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All right. Tim's gone like one time that I speak and I just pretend that I can do whatever I want up front. All right. Yeah, there's nothing better than you. And as we were singing that song, I thought, man, Maya and Phil are good. I don't even know who picked the songs. But that's what the message is about today. Um, as a kid, this story that we just read was one of the few that I identified with. Um, sometimes you'll have like a favorite Bible story, or sometimes you'll have a Bible story that you love to hate, or sometimes you didn't grow up reading the Bible, but some people have a lot of stories. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me. This was my, that's me. And the problem was I didn't like what I saw with it. So I have a long history with this story. And in that history, I learned how to read the scriptures. So the teacher in me is the one you're going to see a little bit more today. I want you to get the message. But I'm going to bury the lead, sort of, and stick it at the end, which is really bad preaching. 
really bad preaching method. Great teaching method. Some of you already know what this story is about and what it means. Uh, we were, I'll give you a hint, if you were praying with us in the group this morning, Phil described the message in one minute, and I was like, why do they even have me here this morning? That was phenomenal. And I was a little embarrassed because it took me like till just a few years ago to figure it out for myself, and I have studied it for a really, really long time. What I want you to see is not just the message, but how we get to the message. So let me tell you the story, and then I'll tell you how I read it, read it, and then I'll tell you how to read it differently, and then we'll get to the message. Does that work? Everyone on board? The message is, okay. You kind of have to. It's either that or get up and leave. <laughs> so, which if, in your balcony, if you're in a balcony, just FYI, I can barely see you, so you guys could probably sneak out, just in case you're wondering. All right. So in this story, Jesus, and as Luke tells it, he makes it really, really simple. Jesus shows up, and he's traveling from one place to another, and he stops at the home of someone that we know from the story must know him pretty well. They must be friends. We can read other places in scripture and find out more about that relationship. But we know that they must know Jesus pretty well because Martha tattletales on her sister to him. You have to know a guest pretty well to go tattletale to your host, right? Yes, no, you did see that in the text, okay. I don't think that's like everyday kind of behavior. But so they, I'm assuming from this text and from elsewhere in scripture that they're pretty good friends. And I always identified myself with Martha because as I've always just been a really hard worker. I was accused this morning maybe of being lazy (laughs) because I've been in bed for three weeks. (laughs) Um, But I've always been a really hard worker, sometimes too hard. And I've sometimes even still, been a little bit arrogant or proud of that fact, you know. So, and then I had a sister who I assumed was a pretty lazy worker. In other words, we were siblings. I am gonna guess she said the same thing about me, who knows. But I always felt like I was a really hard worker and my sister wasn't very helpful. And I was the oldest, therein lies the problem. And I had to do everything. How many of you can identify? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. If not, maybe I was in a unique situation in my family upbringing. So I come to this story and I'm like, yay, there's me. Look, I'm running around, taking care of everything, doing everything. And then I would go, I mean, Mary, Martha goes and complains to Jesus. And uh, he, she says to him, Can you tell her to help? I'm doing everything. And I already labeled it as tattletaling, so you can kind of tell where I'm going with this, that I look at that and I'm like, that doesn't sound so pretty. But why why is she doing that? This is my experience with the text. This is the story as I used to read it. And then Jesus looks at her and says, let me find the words so that I get them right. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. 
but only one thing is needed and Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Honestly, I did not know what to do with that line forever. If you're like, Phil, and go, duh, it's obvious, great. If you don't know, just hang on. Because I'm like, wait, Mary's the good one? She didn't do anything. Martha's the hardworking one. And I've gone through a few different permutations of my understanding of this text since the time I was probably eight or nine or 10. One of them was, oh, I didn't understand about hospitality. Hospitality in that culture was really, really, really important. And maybe, like there is with everything else in life, there's this unspoken rule. And Martha was supposed to know to take care of everything before they got there and then sit down with Jesus. Like, oh, I should be a better hostess. And then I was like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't quite fit. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the text is just messing with my head and it's not really about me or just so confused. I know you think, how is she a scholar? This was my life. Someone laughed too hard. It was just a smile, but it was bold. <laughs> what I ended up recognizing in this text is that when I go to the scriptures, I read them to try to find out what I can do to please Jesus more. I, when I'm identifying with something in the scriptures, I'm identifying with a person and I'm trying to figure out what in that text am I supposed to take away so that I do the right thing. And my motive in that, guys, is beautiful. I love God. I want to obey him. I want to serve him. I want to make him proud. I don't know. Part of me wants to earn his favor, but I know that's not a thing. I want it anyway. It's just theologically garbage. But I want it. But I want to do the right thing. So I read these texts, and especially the ones where I find a character that I can identify with, Martha all the way. And then I look and I'm going, like, what is it that I need to learn from this text so I can do it right next time? What if, whenever I say that, it's very rhetorical. Okay. What if the text isn't about me? I know, most of you already know that. But what if it's not even about what my behavior should look like? What if, call me crazy, the characters in the stories, and by that, the living, breathing people throughout history with whom God interacted were still people and not necessarily perfect. 
I know. Shocking. And what if what they're doing or not doing is not the point of the story? What if the story is about who God is? What if every time he's communicating, he's showing us more of himself and his relationship with this world that he created, whether it's the land, he cares a lot about the land, or animals, this just popped into my head so it's free, here you go, the end of Jonah ends with, how could you not care about these people? I created all these people and lots of cows. <laughs> what if that this story is God's way of revealing who he is to his people? And our takeaway application is usually what we call it in the church is like, I don't know, much further down the line in our understanding of the text. Like, hold off on it for a minute. I, I teach this at seminary, and um, there are a lot of students in my class that are pastors, and they've preached for a long time, and they're phenomenal at application. And they're like, if we don't know what we're supposed to do when we leave here, you haven't preached. Okay. But if you aren't blown away by the tiny glimpse of God that he gives to us, it doesn't have to be a motive, it can be shocking, it can make you angry, it can make you confused. When God would reveal himself to the prophets, some of them would just sit down and sit there for days without even speaking. They were blown away. If you're not blown away by what God is telling you about himself in the passage, then I would say that's not faithful teaching of the word. Now, I see heads nodding, I love that. My students nod too, they're like, yeah, amen. And then they ask me, so was Mary right or Martha? <laughs> yes. And no, I don't know. It doesn't matter. This story's not about Mary and Martha. This story is about Jesus. And he's sitting in a home with his friends. And they're good enough friends that they can kind of, they're probably catching up on all kinds of things, and they can even be like, help me out here. I would love to sit and chat with you. If I just had some help, I would have time. I may or may not talk to guests in my house that way. <laughs> nah, yeah, probably. In fact, when Carl comes over, I'm like, Carl, could you make me some coffee? <laughs> not the best hostess. Rabbit trail, sorry, bud. Anyway, so they're close and they're having this conversation. And 
Martha comes with what is really burdensome to her at the moment. Like, I have all these things to do, and it's really important. By the way, the thing I told you earlier about hospitality is true. Hospitality in this part of the world, in that part of the world, is like the premier value. This was very important. This is like the first time my mother-in-law came to visit and I went and bought my husband all new underwear just in case she saw me folding laundry. Like everything down to the underwear had to be okay in our home. It was my mother-in-law. Hospitality was, I know that was a little different, it wasn't quite hospitality, but it's a big deal when people were in your home and you were supposed to take care of them. So Martha's concerns were valid. They were a big deal. Uh, let me do something with you for a minute. Sometimes the best type of teaching or the most effective teaching is bad teaching. Sorry. So I'm going to do this with you for just a minute. If many, if you guys go to church regularly, some of you here do and some of you don't, but if you do, then you probably wake up sometime Sunday morning or maybe it's when you pull into the parking lot or maybe it's just when you walk into the sanctuary and all the kids are where they're supposed to be and you're in your seat. You start to try and strip away all the stresses of the week so you can be this faithful Christian that's focusing on God for just a minute. That's me. If you don't do that, just know it's a great habit to get into. But I'm gonna ask you really quickly to undo all of that and in a moment of silence, if I can do it, <laughs> I want you to just take a second and in your brain, mentally think you're not gonna be asked to share them so they can be as real as you can get. The top three stresses right now that just feel big. Some of them are massive. I have some right now that I'm like, my prayer in the morning is literally, Lord, help me walk through each day to protect others from things that are going on and the stress that that inflicts on me. So my prayer is literally that I can find some way to just cope in the middle of the unnameable, right? Sometimes you can even look in your mind and go, oh, I know this one isn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, but it's the only thing I can think about. And it's huge. I did not ask permission to use this example. It's not about my kids, it's about another kid in here someone that hardly even knows how much I care about her. We, our family loaned a dress the other day for someone's homecoming because they had ordered a dress and it might not come in. And I've got all these other things that going on at work and all I could think was, if I were in high school and I had to look really nice this weekend, and I did all this work to find the right thing and it's not gonna show up? What do I do? Now, as far as I know, that person didn't make a very big deal of it, but I 
who care about this person and their family and pray for them was freaking out for them. So I'm not talking this has to be life or death. I'm talking stressful, all-consuming, busy, 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 busy things. Do we all have a couple? Did I give you enough time? Okay, good. It's not that those things aren't important. In fact, when God looks at Martha, who's running around and doing all these things, he is not chastising her. We know from the rest of scripture that he cares about all of those things. He says, you're worried about many things. And it's not that they're trite that this makes this so, such an impactful moment to tell a story about. It's that they're big and God cares. One of my favorite things about studying the Old Testament, and I, I won't bring too much Old Testament in this, but if you don't read it regularly, God cares about every part of our lives. Every part of our lives from homecoming dresses to what you're gonna cook this afternoon or where you're gonna eat at a place where everybody can agree on, or how you run your business, or how you take care of other people in your charge, or how you rest. We call it self-care, God calls it Sabbath, whatever, you're supposed to do it. He cares about all of these things, car accidents, vacation plans, finances, sicknesses. He cares about all of them. And he looks at Martha, and now she's in this story that's real, it happened, but in this moment, it's like he's going, look, there's all these things, and they're really big. But they're, let me say it this way, I think we can all share in the fact that if not today, any time in the last month, we could point to a time that we have something really stressful that preoccupies us. Yes? Okay. There'll all be different things depending on our age level, our family, whatever. But this is another thing we all have in common. None of those things compare to the one thing that we need. Obviously, Jesus. I'll say it just in case it wasn't clear. The one thing we need. And he looks at Martha and he says, I know you're so distracted. And this is the part that kind of blows my mind, because I've had company, and I've had important company. I've never had anyone truly famous, and I've never had God in my living room, physically. And he's like, Mary is sitting right here with me, and I don't even know <coughs> Sorry. I don't even know if he's like saying like, oh, this is the right thing. I don't think so. I don't think it's about Mary and Martha. I think he's saying, um, ta-da. I'm here. 
And this is a beautiful object lesson for what the rest of the world is only going to be able to imagine. That the things that we're consumed with that are important to God, I overstepped and almost fell over. <laughs> Tried to play it cool, couldn't pull it off. <laughs> the things that we're consumed with that are important to God pale in comparison to God himself, who is going to take care of all those things. Maybe not the way we want him to. I'm there a lot. I was watching a documentary uh, last week, I think. I don't even know. I've watched more TV in the last three weeks. Anyway, and it was on Netflix, and it was about Toni Morrison, an author. And uh, I didn't even know this about her. I've read a couple of her books. They were, whoo, hard. And I loved them. But I didn't know that she actually won the Nobel Prize for some of her work. It's phenomenal. And she was sharing on there that her, one of her best friends, her editor, who sort of kind of discovered her and edited all her works and helped her write, um, was one of the people she decided to bring with her when she was going to be awarded the Nobel Prize, which I guess is a huge, I don't know, Nobel Prize? I don't know anyone that's won one. Massive deal. And so she invites him, and he's like, ah, I don't know, I'm not really into ceremonies. And she's like, look, you're never going to get another invitation. <laughs> to see someone get a Nobel Prize. Like, literally, this is a once-in-a-lifetime. You're going. And the way she was talking about it, we were just cracking up. Like, yeah, that's a really good answer. Guys, this isn't once-in-a-lifetime what Mary and Martha were experiencing. This is like once-in-a-moment-in-history. Like, how many of us are like, ooh, ooh, how cool would it be to see Jesus. Like, we don't, I, I don't know about you, I kind of grew out of the phase where I imagined that because it's just too big. But there used to be a time in my life that I was like, oh man, what would it have been like to, to, to meet him, to, to talk to him, to, I don't know, touch his garment when he walked by. And here he is sitting in her living room, and he's watching the activity go around him. And he's like, look, teachable moment. I'm not just any guest. I am the God of the universe in people's skin. <laughs> he was fully person too. My theology's okay. And he's sitting in their living room, and he's telling them with every concern. So go back to your list, one, two, and three. The bigger, the better, the better. There is something more important. There is something that will, if not fix those things, I hate health, wealth, gospel, promises, blah, 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 at least walk with you through them. And 100% certain will conquer them in the end. I'm sure of it. 
And it just causes all the other things to melt away. And that's what this story is about. Now, the message of the story, I think we got there, right? I buried the lead, but it's God is in her living room declaring himself to be God and using this moment in history as an illustration of what we all look like all the time, not bad, not good, preoccupied with the things of this world. And there's one thing that matters over all of that. And he's inviting Mary and Martha to see that and he's using the recounting of this story to declare that. That's the message of the passage. Here's the teaching part that I hope you caught all the way through. The only way that we can get there is by letting ourselves relax for a moment on the main question that most of us bring to the text, and that is, what does God want me to do to be better? We will have an answer to that if we understand the text, but if we read the text that way, we're gonna get lost. Uh, He wants me to be a better hostess. He wants me to not do too many chores. He wants me to pay more attention to people when they're with me. All great things, except for the not doing too many chores part, type A. But not the heart of the text. When we switch our question to what is this text telling me about Jesus? What the text is telling us about Jesus in this case, I always know when I've gotten there in my own mind, when I cannot find the words to say it. When I am at that spot in the sermon where I'm like, I need to call Tim, I need to call Adam, I need to call, I can't find the words, I'm so excited about what God said, like, he's Jesus, and that's God, and he came to earth, and that's all we ever need. And yet in that, he cares about all the other things we care about, but we just need one thing, him. And then I'm like, I have to tell them what to go do. But my problem is, I say this every time I'm up here, I'm so wowed at the message that I have trouble putting into words, what am I supposed to go do? What am I supposed to go do? Same thing I tell you to do every time I teach a passage up here. Trust that God loves you. Not only loves you, but he goes out of his way all through scriptures to be in the presence of the people. Old and New Testament. He likes you. He cares about all the things you care about, which is really gracious. Because in the meantime, he's running the world. But he cares. And what he wants us to do is recognize him. Not to give him all the accolades and all the glory, which if you recognize him, you won't be able to do anything but. 
but he'll take your weakness. In fact, that's what he wants. Just recognize that you're tiny and turn toward me. I'm right here. I'm right here. And here's one thing. I'll just end on this because it's kind of soothing. I feel like, gosh, how do you explain that when he's not right here? Like, I can't hand him food in my living room, which is good because I am a terrible cook, but I can't, like, hand him something. Mary and Martha had him right there, and they struggled with this too. I don't think our minds can grasp simultaneously the magnitude of the God we serve and his desire to know you, be known by you, sit with you, take care of things for you, or not. He does that a lot. And just walk with you through them. That same God and that story was true even before he went and did the thing that we as a church celebrate him the most for. He hadn't even died on the cross and rose again for them. But if you, I'll get off my hobby horse that I was about to go on. I love the cross. I love the message of the cross. But until we can grasp the message of the rest of Scripture, of God's power and sufficiency and majesty and relentless pursuit of his creation. I don't think we grasp what it means that he not only came and sat on a lady's floor to eat food with them, but then gave his life willingly to die for them and for us, and then conquered death and rose again, and then went home to prepare a place for us. This is why I'm not a New Testament scholar. What in the world does that look like? As we enter into communion, Please, please, if you take nothing else away from today, which is sometimes my fear, understand that the God of the universe gave his life for you and all he requires of you is to glance his way.
Look at him. Spend time with him. If you know him, thank him and praise him and let him change you from the inside out. If you don't know him, ask him to show himself to you. You will be blown away. If you don't know him, most of what I said today sounds like utter nonsense. I get that. I get that. Because why in the world would the God who is above all other beings want to hang out with me? Or Mary? Or Martha? for lunch.